Be on the alert. Stand firm in your faith. Act like men. Be strong. Words from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Christmas. On the road to Christmas. David to Jesus. I thought that uh, since we have spent our uh, last several weeks looking at heroes and using David as kind of our case study, that it would be appropriate for us to continue toward Christmas and understanding more clearly how David is such a critical piece of the puzzle to understanding Jesus. He points us to Jesus. So follow with me as we read this introductory paragraph there on your notes. On the road to Christmas, David and Jesus. The story of David as Israel's king is the story of the gospel because we learn about our need for a good leader, a good king in whom we can find blessing and flourish. While there is death through Saul, there is resurrection and life in David. And similarly, while there is death in our own power and in the flesh, there is life in King Jesus. Luke 1, 32 and 33 says of King Jesus, this is the context of the angel speaking to Mary, quote, she was thoroughly shaken, wondering what was behind a greeting like that. But the angel assured her, Mary, you have nothing to fear. God has a surprise for you. You'll become pregnant and give birth to a son and call his name Jesus. He will be great, be called son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will rule Jacob's house forever, no end ever to his kingdom. I mean, can you imagine being Mary and hearing those words? Wow. Wow. You talk about goosebumps running up your back. You know when you hear something, it just creates goosebumps on your back? It's like, wow, what are you saying to me? I just want to be a mama. Oh, sweetheart, you're going to be a mama like no other, like no other. You to pick up your pen. Let's go to work. I have three questions for you. Preparing our hearts for Christmas. Christmas, David leads the way. First question I would ask you is, how will you prepare for Christmas? Think about that for a minute. How will you prepare for Christmas? Now, you may find that question just perplexing. What do you mean? I just kind of bump along. You know, it's kind of like I get thrown into the rapids of Christmas and I just wash downstream and hopefully end up at a good spot. No, I want to offer you one word um, that I would hope that you've already written. And if you hadn't, I want you to. Worship. I want you to be more deliberate about worship. You know, there's so much literature and so much study even beyond what the Bible tells us about how worship 
meditation can take care of anxiety and panic attacks. And if we would just slow down, worship, how will you do that? I've got some suggestions this morning for me and for you. Second question, what's your favorite Christmas story? What's your favorite Christmas story? Now, I want to, I want you to think about that for a minute because, you know, there's hundreds of movies. You know, Carla keeps threatening uh, to put me in a room and duct tape me to a chair and put on Christmas Hallmark movies. I would rather be waterboarded. You know, it, it's funny how my TVs work. I've got four TVs, you know, at my house. And she's always watching late at night. She's a late nighter. And she'll end uh, at night watching a Hallmark Christmas movie. Well, so, for some reason, I don't know how my TVs work. Whatever's on the main TV uh, and you cut it off, it defaults then to the, uh, to the other TVs. So when I get up in the morning and I go into my office and I turn my TV on, <laughs> ah, there's a Hallmark movie on. Oh, goodness. You know, please. Flip the channel to ESPN. Somebody might see that. Phil's watching another Hallmark movie. We've known about Phil for a long time. It's only confirming. And uh, a good friend of mine uh, who's actually in the room uh, today actually brought this to me and recommended a new movie. Now, I haven't seen this, so be careful for me recommending a movie that I haven't seen. We all know stories about that. But this, is a, this has been a movie that's recommended me, The Christmas Chronicles and Kurt Russell. It's on Netflix, so I hope to watch that. We all love Christmas movies. But guys, in all seriousness, when will you get anchored in to the real Christmas story? Jesus, the Christmas story. Will you read it to your family as, as I have done and uh, ever since I had a family, Christmas morning, I'll read the Christmas story to my girls, and they love that, you know. There'll be a day when they'll be reading it to me as I've got slobber running down my chin, oatmeal from yesterday running down my chin. Um, but, yeah, the story of Jesus, the story, but we love stories. Third question, how will you worship Jesus. How will you worship Jesus? That second question was the story of Jesus. The idea there is what I want you to, to be attuned to. And the third thing, whatever you're writing down, I want you to include this. How will you worship? And I want you to journal. You know what this book is? It's not like yours necessarily. You have your own unique, but this is a journal. I want you this season to journal, to write down your thoughts, your heart. Journal through a psalm. We're going to work some with that this morning. As you've heard me say, if you've been hanging around me very long, I don't think it's possible to grow as God intended us to grow, unless you journal. 
I think that puts you in way too a passive place. You're not engaged. You're not really listening. Listen with your pen. Write it down. Come on Thursday morning. Set the notes aside that we prepare for you. Write in your journal. Write it in your journal. Work through a psalm. Rewrite it in your own words as if it were being said to you. But journal your way to Christmas. Jesus is coming. Isn't that cool? Jesus is coming. What if you and I tonight are awakened by an angel, much like what spoke to Mary? And that angel is standing at the foot of your bed at 2 a.m., and you wake up, and the angel says, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Be ready. Be ready. Be ready. Isn't that cool? Be ready. Journal your way to Christmas. I want you to turn over <clears throat> to Acts chapter 13. This is a powerful passage in Acts uh, chapter 13, where Paul is getting a chance to speak in an open forum in a hostile environment. And um, I meant to tell you this, Jeff, but I forgot. So I'm going to jump up at about verse um, 15 of Acts 13. Knowing you, you can get there before I can even get there. Uh, On the Sabbath, how about that? Uh, Acts 13, on the Sabbath, they went to the meeting place, took their places, and after reading of the scriptures, God's law and the prophets, the president of the meeting asked them, friends, you have anything you want to say? A word of encouragement, perhaps? Now, this is hilarious to me when I read this. You know, president stands up, anybody else got anything to say? Holy cow, Paul stands up. <laughs> exactly, Joe. That's pretty doggone funny. I wasn't quite expecting that, the president says. And the apostle Paul stands up. He paused. He took a deep breath and he said, Fellow Israelites, friends of God, listen. God took a special interest in our ancestors. He pulled our people who were beaten down in Egyptian exile to their feet, led them out of there in grand style. He took good care of them for nearly 40 years in that God-forsaken wilderness. And then, having wiped out seven enemies he stood in the way, gave them the land of Canaan for their very own, a span in all of about 450 years. Now, he's telling the story. He's telling the story of Christmas, if you will. He just stands up. I wish I was better at telling stories rather than all this other stuff we try to do. You know, sometimes we just need to tell a story and quit teaching so much. You know, tell the story of Jesus. Tell the story of God's redemptive history. And that's all Paul's doing. One of the greatest sermons of all time. He's just telling the story. He goes on. Up to the time of Samuel the prophet, God provided judges to lead them. But they asked for a king. But then they asked for a king. Now, that's, that's an important piece. 
and they demanded the king. And God gave them Saul, son of Kish, out of the tribe of Benjamin. And after Saul had ruled 40 years, God removed him from office and put King David in his place. King David was appointed by God through the prophet Samuel. King Saul was appointed by the people. Go figure that out. And with his commendation, I've searched the land and found this David, son of Jesse. He's a man whose heart beats to my heart, a man who will do what I tell him. In your study Bible, it reads, a man after God's own heart. Earthy, raw, crazy broken, silly broken, humble, love to listen to music, play music, a renaissance man, had his right brain and his left brain working, warrior, king, David. Turn over to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, the Christmas verse. Christmas, John chapter 1. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. Now, in your study Bible, it actually says that he came and he dwelt among us. The word there actually means tabernacle, that he tabernacled among us. It's like he came and he set up residence. In East Tennessee, we would call that a house trailer. He house trailered among us, you know. He put a little uh, uh, house on a plot of land out by Grandma's house, you know. He tabernacled among us. And then it says in your study Bible that he came in grace and truth. Grace, full of acceptance. He said, I, I didn't come to judge. I came to accept people. But I came in truth, which means it's not Doris Day, K Sarah Sarah. There's lime on the playing field. You play within the lines. There is structure to it. That's what truth means in everyday language. So I came in an accepting and structured way. Advent. Jesus is coming. So this is what it looks like. The road to Christmas. Saul, David, and Jesus. Now, Again, those of you that have hung around me for a, for a while, like Billy Mink and Charles Waterloo, uh, you know, they, they've heard everything I've had to say about 10 times over and over. It's just, it's, it's just like stuck on a record. Uh, <clears throat> I've used this diagram for years. This, this diagram has helped me to understand life. I use it in my counseling office. 
uh, at least uh, several times a week. If you come into my office, oh, wow, I saw Phil. Did he share that stupid diagram with you too? Yeah, he did. Yep. He's going to share this diagram because this is the way life works. It's the idea of the ideal. And the operative word is what I want. Um, and when the ideal doesn't work, what we typically move to is the false. And what happens is the operative word then just becomes role. I get into a role and I'm trying to make the ideal work. But the only way that life really works is when I can live out of the real And the operative word is, is. Now, again, as you know, when I've shared this diagram, I could fill this board up and I could spend half a day talking about how this diagram works. But that's the simple part of it. Now, I share it with you now because this is, this is how I want you to understand the gospel. This is the gospel. That the gospel always starts with God. And what we want is God. And God has given us Jesus. But in God's wonderful, imaginative, creative way, he gives us a story in order to understand how redemptive history works. Because we know that what we want is only what we had. What we want is the ideal. We want to go back to the garden. We had it in the garden. We lost it. That was the ideal. And it only exists, in a sense, in our long-term memory. It's like, I want that. I desire that. Where is that? So what we do is we try to create that which we want. And when we do that, we're looking Saul in the eye. Saul is the representation of your false self and my false self. And God gives us that picture in Saul. He was appointed by the king. I mean, I mean, he was appointed by the people to be the king. It's like you and me. Uh, so, you know, I'm going to clean up my life. Good luck. Good luck. Good luck. Because there's no way to clean up your sin life. You don't understand. You don't get it. Yeah, you can go on a self-improvement plan, but what are you going to do with sin? Sin is the lack of holiness in your life, and God demands holiness. So you don't understand the gospel when you start saying, I'm going to clean up my life in such a way that I will be acceptable to God. You don't get it. You know, what I learned after I moved to Mississippi that they say about you when you don't get it, well, bless his heart. You know, they're laughing at you at the water cooler, right, Brad? They're laughing at you. He don't, he don't get it. He ain't from around here, is he? You know? Saul, what would be the words that you would use, you Bible scholars in the room, to describe Paul, uh, Saul. What do you remember about Saul? Arrogant. Jealous. 
self-centered, ego-centered, insecure, narcissist. Love it when you talk dirty to me. Narcissist. Gentlemen, look yourself in the mirror. That is you. That is me. Self-absorbed. Self-centered. Death. But what God did in his incredible imaginative mercy, again, he's not on this fast pace like you and I are. I mean, he's, he's taking hundreds of years to show us who he is. And so he comes along and he gives us another character to understand the need for Jesus. Again, we're on the road to Christmas, and we go through Saul, and we realize we can't make it happen. So what would be the words that come to your mind about David? Free? Leader. Tough. Broken. Adulterer. You know, adulterer, you can't teach Sunday school and be an adulterer. Oh, wait a minute now. Wait, 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 wait. How, how does that work? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Ron says, I beg to differ. Uh, amen. Yeah. He's a man, truly a man, truly a man. Now, again, we could go on and on, but the reason that God has given us David as a precursor, as a pointer to Jesus, is, is to help us understand just the humanity and what it really looks like as we head toward the humanity of Jesus. Jesus was a man. David was a real man. Jesus was a man without sin. David was a man with lots of sin, but his heart was always for God, pointed toward God. He is more realistic for you and I to get a hold of than just having to look at Jesus. We want to look at Jesus. Jesus was all man. But man, I'm so encouraged when I read all that God has given us uh, in Scripture about David. More material on David than any other character in all of Scripture other than Jesus. Humble, broken, a heart for God. And in Jesus, what we have is life in resurrection and joy.
David points us to Jesus. Saul confronts us with our own self-centeredness. As I see myself in Saul, I'm ashamed. You know, Saul was a good-looking guy. He's the guy that you wanted on your team. He would be the guy that you and I would, would elect to be the president of the class. But he would be a disappointment to us because we look on the external things. Be very careful. I sat um, in my counseling room with a, um, with a young pastor and he is in a tough situation right now because he is the assistant pastor and he believes his church has elected a new pastor that is more like Saul than like David. And he's sitting in my uh, counseling room trying to figure out what to do. You know what I told him? I said, dude, you're going to have to leave. I said, it's, it's, it's written on the, uh, on the card. You, you won't change that. And unfortunately, I think that church will realize what they've got. If, if what you're telling me, I, I'll, I only know what you're telling me, and I believe you. But if what you're telling me is true, you're going to have to leave. It's sad. We do it all the time in our churches, in our companies, uh, partnerships. Guys, the thing that was so cool about David was his heart, was his heart, his character. You know, again, this idea of Jesus, the road um, to Christmas, with David, there's such imagination. I mean, story after story after story that we read from 1 Samuel 16 through 1 Kings chapter 2. Wow. On and on, story after story. David dealing with God. That phrase, Jesus, son of David, son of David. It's real, this Christmas thing we're talking about, because David was real. And more importantly, Jesus is real, and he has come. I love the pictures of Christmas that remind me of Jesus coming. And one of my favorite pictures is our military guys coming home. Don't you love that? It's like Jesus is here and all the enthusiasm. I want you to watch this. Keep in mind, Jesus is coming home. He's home. Pup dog, if you wouldn't mind, we're trying to get a family picture. Pup dog, pup dog, excuse me. Ladies and gentlemen, Sergeant Keith Bradley reporting for daddy duty.
that we love home how about Jesus is he coming to your house will he be at your house you know again God has given us David in such a powerful way 
to help us get real about life. This idea of David, he walked with God. He was connected to God. He prayed to God. He journaled about God. He was real. God gives us David to help us understand, how do you do this God thing? How do you do this worship thing? David will teach you. He's a model. And then this idea of even beyond journaling with God, he was matured by God. He went through a process. So many stories of David, the cave of Adullam, just hiding. Saul trying to kill him. Seven times he tried to kill him. Hardship accepted by God after adultery. Understood the grace of God. Equipped by God to be the warrior and leader. He was embraced by God, a man after my own heart. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to turn over to Psalm 18 with me. And I want to take us through a worship service with Psalm 18 for a few minutes. Psalm 18 is part of 2 Samuel chapter 22. So as David's coming to the end of his life, as recorded all through 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, in 2 Samuel, this psalm is part of that passage. And then it becomes also Psalm 18 in the book of Psalms. It's the psalm that David wrote after he became king, was coming to the end of his life, and had been hunted down on the run for years by Saul. And this is kind of the psalm that is the culmination of David's life. Now, I don't have time to read this whole psalm, but what I want you to do is I want you to go on a trip with me, with David, and I want you to close your eyes this morning, and I'm going to read just a few passages from Psalm, psalm 18. And what I want you to do is I want you to see with your eyes closed, with the eyes of your heart, because the imagery of this psalm is David sitting in a worshipful place, and he's writing in his journal. And I want you to get relaxed. This is like a guided imagery. I'm not going to hypnotize anybody. I could make you act like a chicken if I wanted to, but I'm not going to do that. And I want you just to close your eyes and listen to David's words and worship the Lord. I love you, God. You make me strong. God is bedrock under my feet. And I want you to see that. I want you to see standing in a place with bedrock underneath you, rock solid. The castle in which I live, see that. See that castle. 
my rescuing night. See that night. My God, the high crag where I run for dear life, hiding behind the boulders, safe in the granite hideout. See yourself in that safe place. A hostile world I call to God. I cry to God to help me. Ever been in that kind of place? You see that? I cry to God to help me. From his palace, he hears my call. My cry brings me right into his presence, a private audience, eye to eye with God. Now he's wrapped himself in a trench coat of black cloud darkness. But his cloud brightness bursts through, spraying hailstones and fireballs. Then God thundered out of heaven. The high God gave a great shout, spraying hailstones and fireballs. God shoots his arrows pandemonium. He whirls his lightnings. Around. They hit me when I was down, but God stuck by me. He stood up. He stood me up on a wide open field. I stood there saved, surprised to be loved. Open field open meadow, experiencing God's love. God made my life complete when I placed all the pieces before him. When I got my act together, he gave me a fresh start. Now I'm alert to God's ways. I don't take God for granted. Every day I review the ways he works I try not to miss a trick. I feel put back together, and I'm watching my step. God rewrote the text of my life when I opened the book of my heart to his eyes. Live God. Live God. Live God. Blessings from my rock, my free and freeing God towering. This God set things right for me and shut up the people who talk back. He rescued me from enemy anger, and he pulled me from the grip of upstarts. He saved me from the bullies. Amen. You can open your eyes. Guys, I want you to worship your way. I want me to worship my way 
to Christmas. And one of the ways that I want to suggest that you do that is that you make it part of your Advent season, preparing for the coming of Jesus, to read through the Psalms. And on your notes there, I've, I've included like a 15-day reading plan. You know, it's roughly a little more than 15 days to Christmas, so you got even some uh, cheat days if you get behind. Use this chart or some other chart, but I want you to read through the Psalms. And when you get to Christmas morning, that you would have read through 150 Psalms. I want you to journal your way. I want you to take some time and meditate. Pick one of those out, much like we did this morning with Psalm 18. See it. Experience it. Smell it. Taste it. Experience God. Worship Him. Get out of your head and get down in your heart and your gut and be like David. Be a man after God's heart. Merry Christmas. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for your incredible, crazy, wild imagination the journey that you have taken us on to get us to just the point of surrendering our lives to Jesus. Saul, David, Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray, amen.